0: it's great mondays radio i'm josh levine your host founder of great mondays we help executives from hyper growth technology and social enterprise organizations build cultures that attract engage and retain top talent if you'd like to be a guest on our program hang out for about 20 minutes and i'll tell you how Hey, everybody, welcome back to Great Mondays Radio. I am here with John Oman, Senior Vice President of Strategy and Development for Mortensen, once, once construction, but actually much more than that. There's a large organization that does a lot of building of, of really big infrastructure projects and interesting um, projects, which I'm really excited about to talk with you about. Um, welcome. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks. Pleasure to be here. So um, what I th- find really interesting is that um, in spite of the fact that this is such a huge organization and does so many amazing projects, um, including let's list some, um, I noticed the, uh, the Disney Concert Hall was one that was a big one. There's yep. some big solar projects. You guys are in big into solar infrastructure. Any other like uh, big name projects you want to you want to cite?
1: Sure, we uh, relatively recently finished the Raider Stadium in Las Vegas. Yeah, <laughs> U.S. Bank Stadium, um, lots of hospitals, cultural centers, museums. So, yeah. very cool. Quite a yeah. quite a breadth of projects. We have kind of what we call our electrical and renewables businesses, and then we have our commercial buildings business. But a lot of those buildings are quite big.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. big, big projects. But it's a family business, or should I say, and it's a family business. And you don't really think of you, you know, you think of mom and pop. You think it's smaller, um, and I think that's really interesting. And that's kind of where I want to start um, in this conversation: is about what it what it's like to work, um, what what the culture is like. What is it like to work in a family owned business like this? Sure. Well,
1: I I just feel. Privilege to to work at Mortensen and and you know, we wanted to talk about culture. And I'm I'm part of a senior leadership team that has been stewarding a culture. And that was actually the first, the the founder of the business, or at least the Mort Mortensen that scaled the business. Um, I got to sit near him and interact with him over a period of years. He has since passed away. But when he and, and by the time I joined, we were, you know, already a billion and a half, but my first conversation with him was about how he saw himself and his family as a steward of the business, not an owner or an extractor of value, but really being a steward. And so I think a lot of that philosophy and that care, you know, has come, has carried through to the senior team and shapes a lot of the culture and who we are. The, uh, David is now the chairman, David Mortensen, but it's, it's a family business in that we it's family owned. So it's privately held but it's professionally run and, and the Mortensen family has hired the you know the very best of the talent um, to run the business and created a great environment. So it's not it's not about the Mortensen family per se, the company's yeah. name Mortensen, but it's really about stewarding a great business and growing it and creating opportunities for all kinds of people.
0: That's interesting. I wonder if that's an it like an interesting way to think about this. I love this idea of stewarding and where obviously you have, you might say you have ultimate control as the, the family, right. Or the son or whatever it might be. And uh, as we're all watching through succession and whatnot, bad, right. Like that's, that's a culture gone bad, but, um, being, being able to say, look, this is, I'm going to choose to do this because it's good for the organization and setting that precedent. Um, how does that continue to get, and, and I think your purview as part of the leadership team, you're talking about how you got to sit with um, the original the original founder who, who is Scale-It. But now you're bringing, there's other people, the business is evolving. There's a, The sun is still there as a chairman, but how does this stewardship mentality and this culture that they've instituted, how is there a way that it gets articulated to the leadership team or reinforced or ensured in some way
1: yeah i mean that um, that's one of our greatest sort of concerns and efforts is to maintain the culture right i mean just basic business philosophy where you're going and kind of who you are as an organization genetically doesn't change very often how you how you get there and has to adapt and change constantly right like any any yeah. good business School would tell you,
0: yeah. Um, right. But I
1: think part of what the a lot a large when our CEO took over, he spent a whole year just working on culture, and I think part of the the humility and the stewardship of the culture is he didn't he didn't start with well let's inflict culture on others, but he said let's start with our own team and lead by example, and which was really the way Mort and and David Mortensen also run the business and and own it. So kind of start with ourselves and so we spent nearly a year as a senior team and then slowly working working out from there to to try to institutionalize what the culture was because uh, Dan Johnson our current CEO you know arguably we were at another inflection point in the business where we were going from 2 or 3 billion up to now we're you know near 6 billion so just tremendous scale addition of people yeah, yeah. um and and you have to what was tribal knowledge needed to become institutional knowledge without killing the authenticity of it. Uh, When, when I joined uh, again, much smaller company, uh, just under 2 billion and went out to one of our, one of our annual meetings in Denver and I met uh, a foreman who had, had worked here for 20 years. And he, as a foreman in the field, he had personal experience with Mort and he he came up to me with a string of expletives and said, "I, you know, blankety blank bleed blue." And I said, uh, "Okay." And so, anyways, blue is shorthand for Mortensen. Our logo is blue, and somehow blue got into the vernacular. Yeah. What he said to me was, "You know, back in the day when accidents and missing fingers were just part of being a carpenter," Mort said, "No way. This this doesn't need. It, it can be different. You know." And it was. Back then, there was a lot of resistance and skepticism, um, but you know, began the safety journey very early. Which again, he's a steward of the business, a steward of the people that work in work in it, yeah. and have to live with it. And um, so, anyways, this was very personal. Try, you know, very personal tribal knowledge that everybody had. Everybody on the senior leadership team at the time had essentially grown up with more. Um, Hustling and scraping and putting together great business, all kinds of adventures and risks and disasters and successes. Yeah. But as they retired, you know, the question became how How do we maintain this this ethic of stewardship, and how do we put a name to it? And so, um, a couple of us formed a small group, and we went off and and tried to tried to capture that. Um, institutionalize it, and what we did was basically combine, you know, uh, Mort used to have, say, our purpose was the, um, our, our purpose is to build structures and facilities for the advancement of modern society, and then he had a list of seven values that you'd see on anybody's, you know, all personally and deeply felt and meant and lived, but still the words were very generic, and we sort of assembled all this, and that was fine for a while, but then we got to the point where we needed we needed some real help, and we hired some professionals um, that are still part of the company: Daniel Paulson, Jason Ortmeyer. And what they did was actually go to the field, where all the action is, where all, where all the hard decisions are made, and ask people what Mortensen is when we're at our best. And they they really used uh, boy, I don't know how many interviews they did, probably many, many focus groups, many interviews, probably you know hundreds of people um, that, and from those they were able to distill. Uh, what we call our lead blue principles so uh, do the right thing we before me and inspire what's possible now context is everything so you know when you have 200 distributed job sites with all kinds of risks and yeah decisions and there's there's a bunch of subtext under those three principles but the point is they listen very carefully to our people you know we kind of all work this over together ultimately and when we published it 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 just caught fire because it resonated yes the very people we were trying to just trying to serve so you know kind of full circle but it was it was very very effective and it and it just gave clarity and it was you know in some ways hard for the family to leave the old language but the intent and the meaning was the same and the new language spoke to the new generation you know to the extent for years we've well for a long time we just thought this would be an internal uh, internal language, but it, it slips out into our recruiting is super attractive to, you know, cause we live it and we're not perfect, but we try. And, but there's, you know, really reflective of what is it. Ha- Good culture has to be authentic,
0: right? It has to be. Yeah. Actually are. Yeah. You're, okay. So bunch of awesome things that you're just sharing and I want to point them out. One is you're saying it slips out into your recruiting. That is what I'm trying to get my clients to do more of. It's like, this to me is the future of culture where it's not just about the internal behaviors, but the external, how you articulate that. And it needs to be aligned and you're saying it needs to be the same. I, I think that's exactly right. I think that's I, wonderful.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the definition of authenticity, right? It's, it's the same whether you're internal, external. Exactly. I, I think with all the social media channels and the way information flows, you know, we often talk internally, the lines between internal, external, external are, you know, greatly blurred. So you, you, even if you want to sort of maintain two different fronts, it it doesn't work. You're not
0: going to. Yeah, Yeah. that's right. It's a very porous membrane and it's going to get more so. And uh, yeah, I, this is exactly what I see going is in moving in the future is your, how do you influence the culture of your communities on the outside as well? And I think that's you know that's what you're starting to see. The other thing that I loved what you said is is that the the new articulation of those values caught fire, and they caught fire because it was so authentic. We'll use that word again. It resonated, and I th- I'm that is a great phrase because that's exactly the experience that I've had when we are able to partner with an organization and really listen to what the employees are talking about, and you can then capture that in, in the way, in the right way, there's always this, like, how do you operationalize it? How do you activate it? How do you launch it? But as soon as it, like, got released into the world, everybody went, yes, boom, I'm going to take that and use it. And you don't even have to convince anybody to do it. And it's, you give them the tools and they want to do it. And I, yeah. I think that's great. That's amazing. I love that you had this. We had similar experiences in that moment of like transitioning and articulating. Um, and kudos for getting down to three. That's amazing. Seven's yeah. way too many. So
1: yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's, there's uh, you know, explanation underneath the three. Of course. Yes, you need that. You know, and some of them are, are a little surprising too. And this is where I've appreciated some of your work where you talk about culture not just being generically good but distinctively good and even even in do the right thing which sounds like just a basic moral statement yeah you know two of the sub bullets on on that are are communicate with clarity Mm. what does that have to do with doing the right thing well Mm -hmm. on a job site in a project uh withholding communication hoping things get better uh, bad news doesn't get better with age. And so just, you know, these things are very specific to our, to our environment and the work that, that most of our people do. Of course it applies to any of us. Um, and even in our business service groups where I work and serve, but, um, and also leaning into challenges, you know, taking, um, stuff happens on these projects. They're, they're complicated often and you can, you can, point fingers, or you can lean into it and figure it out. And that's, again, when we're at our best, that's what clients say is, yeah. you just leaned into it. You just figured it out. It wasn't, strictly speaking, your fault, but you're you're after it. And um, combine that with communication, and it, it provides a little color to what we mean by
0: do the right thing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you can't just put up that headline. I, I think about Um, the value, the title of the values, kind of like the Nike swoosh, right? Now it feels like everybody knows what that means. Just do it. And the, but it's like, it, that just, it was defined. It's a, it's a headline. It's a logo for, right? And so you're like, do the right thing. You're like, duh, of course, but it's ownable for you all because you are making sure that every employee, or you hoping that every employee understands that when we say do the right thing, we're talking about transparency and communication. Right. Like, so it's like, how do you flesh that out? Um, how how are you? Let's get let's get a little more um, specific and personal, personal. What would you say you, one of the things, one of the, the articulations here is inspiring what's possible? What do you do? I mean, how how does that you're a senior vice president, of strategy and development? Okay, John, inspire what's possible. What does that mean to you? How do you bring that to life?
1: Sure. I mean. So in my discipline, so I, I do strategy and that's new markets, identification and early development of new markets. Um, my group and myself also do a lot of marketing and sort of what we'd call sales enablement. Mm-hmm. And so in our field, when we, when we think about inspiring what's possible as Mortensen, we've spent a lot of time building a case for and developing skills to really lead our customers, I think a contractor in the old school sense can just be always responding to things. You know, the architect drew something, eh, it's too expensive. It's not buildable. Fix this, fix that. Or can, can be, you know, whereas with Mortensen, we've developed expertise as, or expertise around renewables, around sports, around healthcare, for instance. Mm-hmm. And so inspiring what possible is, is capturing that expertise and bringing it to our customers. So when they're, Designing a sports stadium, we can have, you know, really intelligent conversations that, you know, you're making this multi-billion dollar investment. Let's look at how the configuration of, of seats and suites and special services will drive your revenue and give you a better return, right? Or um, if you are looking to put renewables on the grid one of the biggest issues right now is sort of connecting that re- those renewables to the grid the actual interconnect yeah. and there's you know yeah. large queues with utilities and all kinds of backups and problems especially with the recent push from from the IRA and so you know bringing some of our other capabilities and explaining you know how sort of proactively building some of these assets and working with utilities can can get them online quicker and bring renewables you know renewables into the grid quicker um that's what we mean by inspire was possible. So so for me personally, it's been about how how do we teach and lead our customers where we have real expertise that that they need and that
0: they want us to bring. Mm, I see, very good, very cool. Um, so you've already told me about uh, you've already shared a, a win. Do you have any, you have any fails, like culture fails that you can share with us? Because it's one of the things that I like to do is like, it's a candid conversation. It's, you're working for this incredibly successful company. You have all these values. They're amazing. Everything's going really well, but I'd like to know, are there any, you know, what can we learn from something that didn't go as well? Is there anything that you could share um, that you learned from that maybe we can learn from?
1: Yeah, I think um, well on two levels. The the process to getting to these lead blue principles, uh, we just described it in a couple minutes, and it sounds all clean and quick. But that's right. <laughs> it really took it really took a number of years to get there. And I think our our early attempts at just sort of adding up all the words and phrases from the past, to some degree, was a fail. I mean, it was a step in the right direction, but it just it just wasn't adequate, and it. Um, you know you, you had to think a little more deeply and really invest the time and resources to get get after it and get it right. Um, I think failure there, I mean, we have many, many thousands of people, many you know thousands of trade partners, all these jobs going at once. We have failures every day. We all fail every day. yeah, and I think the the question is how do you address those failures? And so what we've tried to do, and again, when you have this many people in an organizational structure, we're not perfect in every corner of the world, but really take a culture where failure as a mistake is something we can say, okay, a bad decision was made here or an unethical decision, perhaps. What you know? What's the learning? Um, I mean, obviously there's decisions and things that are done that don't allow for further employment. Um, <laughs> right, right. But there's lots of mistakes on the job site and lots of decisions that are made. And just sort of being in an environment where it's safe to fail, where we're coachable. Um, you know, one of the second uh, principles is uh, we before me. And the first sub bullet under that is coach and empower others. So, you know, you sort of have to let people fail. You have to give them some rope to try and to learn and then not finding fault but finding you know solutions and learning from it so just incorporating those those that approach to learning into culture if you can do that it creates a a a culture of belonging and and sort of innovation and 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 also in this day and age you you really can't afford to turn over good team members just because they made one bad decision or or you right. know again we've all failed at
0: points in our career so yeah. One of the things that one of the principles of this learning from failures, and it sounds like this is what you're doing with your team is making it okay to fail. Not that people want to, they won't want to, obviously, but what you're doing is actually building up psychological safety and trust. And that is the key to a really like, if you don't have that, you're not going to be able to have this authentic culture that you're aspiring for. And so, when I think about what, well, maybe I'll 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 have you answer the question, which is, one of your team members messed up on something. What what do you what are the what's the process? How do you point it out and make sure that it's okay? They understand that, but they also understand the severity of the of it. Like, what's the right way to do this? Because I think a lot of leaders have a hard time with this, right? Like they either go too hard or not enough. They would all, no conflict. What do you, how do you balance that?
1: Yeah, I don't, I'm not exact. I mean, it's obviously a broad question. It would depend on the kind of screw up or. Yeah, right. I know. I know. Um, But I I can give you an example. We we have a, a leadership development program that started about the same time that I started about 11 years ago. And um. Some of, so we, for a year, they come in for sessions. They have a a team that they work on to solve a company problem. Senior leaders come in and spend an extraordinary amount of time with them when they're in town for a week. And just really, you know, we have customer leadership and ethics and uh, building. We have all kinds of different topics in the different sessions. And, you know, one of the, one of the teams, uh, took their, their night out on one of the nights, uh, a little too far or a lot too far. And, you know, some behavior that just didn't reflect well on Mortensen and, you know, they're on Mortensen time and Mortensen expense account. And so I know in other companies I have been in that would have been cause for dismissal, um, here, you know, very frank one-to-one conversations were had with each of of that, each of those team members. And, um, you know, some evaluation was made of sort of who drove it and what happened and who was really involved in the end. And, uh, you know, those that really needed to rethink their behavior weren't, weren't fired, but they were dropped from the program. What's interesting is a couple of them were reinvited the next year. So it's not that decisions don't have consequences the question is, can we be a company where you can learn and where there can be, you know, second chances where it's appropriate and relevant? Again, there's there's always things that can happen that don't allow for second chances. So that's an example of something we went through and really agonized over, quite frankly, as a senior team, because we spend an enormous amount of time with these people. We we like them, we love, you know, it's it's just part of our culture and and critical leaders for the future. And here this thing happen. So that's that's one example of how we handled it.
0: I think that's great. I, I so appreciate you sharing that. I, I think we all um in one form or another have heard of or been part of that type of you know mistake. And um to sort of I, I think that's almost like a quintessential uh corporate error, perhaps. So yeah. to be able to yes, understand how you handled it, I think that's really good. There's there's um, other
1: there's other kinds of mistakes too. We just talked about one today in a yeah. operations meeting where, you know, more technical mistakes, you know, a, a concrete pour was made and the concrete wasn't kept cool enough and it failed. This is a year ago. You know, the team, and this is, these mistakes cost a great deal. You know, Yeah, they cost a lot of money. Like a lot, a lot of money. So it had to be ripped out and fixed, this enormous mistake. Well, the team that made the mistake has put together a best practice and is sharing that mistake with the rest of the company. So this is sort of a we before we moment or uh, we before me. And, you know, that's not easy to do,
0: right? No, but there's- no we, not only did I mess up, I'm admitting, but I'm going to announce it to the entire organization. Yep. Yep. And I'm
1: going to share in the hopes that, that you can learn from my, you know, my uh, technical error, operating error, and that this won't happen again for the sake of the company. So, you know, that's never easy to do. And I'm not saying everybody's no. just running to the, you know, no. running to the stage <laughs> to share their mistakes, but, but it is a culture where that is respected and really appreciated. And we do see that from our leadership. So hopefully that's, you know, when somebody does that, that's, that's leading by example. And,
0: um, Hey, could save the company a lot of money in the long run. So it's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah. Let's, let's use the, let's use the mistake and the money that it cost <laughs> us to actually educate and, and insulate. Right. It's an education.
1: Yeah. yeah. So
0: John, that's amazing. Um, I really appreciate you spending some time with us coming on Great Mondays Radio. John Oman, Senior Vice President of Strategy and Development for Mortensen. Um, I'm really excited to kind of see you all, continue to watch you all, what you say, build for the greater good, get into solar and the you know all of the amazing work that we're going to need in America now to really push things forward. So you guys are obviously part and parcel of that. So thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing some of your wisdom, your earned wisdom from some of the failures and mistakes and wins. Earned,
1: uh, earned I, and learned.
0: Earned and, yes, I love it. Earned and learned, doing the right thing, putting we before me, inspiring what's possible. Amazing, um, really, really uh, interesting conversation. I really appreciate you spending time with us. Thank you, John. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Josh. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Great Mondays Radio. Hey, if you want to be a guest, head over to greatmondays.com/slash radio. We'd love to hear from you. And if you think this episode was interesting and your friends and fans would enjoy it, please share on social media. And if you want to get more people to understand the power of company culture in business today, please rate and review Great Mondays Radio on your podcasts app or podcast feed. It really helps us reach more people people if you want to make sure to hear more candid conversations with culture leaders subscribe to great mondays radio and i'd love to connect with you find me on linkedin at aka josh levine on youtube at great mondays and you can always email me josh at great mondays.com find out more about our work with hypergrowth technology and social enterprise organizations or grab a copy of our book at great mondays.com i'm josh levine Thanks for listening to Great Mondays Radio.